0: 702. Seven oh two. What's up, 072-702-1702. Orientation weeks or orientation week is upon us at universities. Uh, they're, they're in full swing, and uh, there are lots of empty nests about uh, in the country. And this morning, we're discussing how parents can and do need to let go and support their children's journey to independence. And of course. Bringing us this important conversation is Nikki Bush, uh, speaker, author, human potential and parenting expert. Morning, Nikki. Trust you well. Good morning,
1: Refilwe. Yes, I am. On the back <laughs> of a braai, actually, last night for friends who have lost their children to university, <laughs> trying to keep them company as they, as they endure emptiness. Well,
0: I mean, that is such that's such an important milestone and such a significant milestone, right? When your children leave the house, and no doubt they're celebrating, maybe some nerves, maybe some apprehension, but for the most part, they 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 run into their newfound freedom. Whilst parents have a lot to contend with, mm-hmm. what were the kinds of things that you know your friends were sort of talking about, or dealing with, or just like wondering about as their
1: children go off to varsity? Well, of course, our children are partying so much. How are they going to pass university is a big thing (laughs) because (laughs) O-Week, of course, is just full of partying, full of partying, socializing, connecting with old friends, making new friends, physically orientating themselves in their new environment, which includes both you know, working out where things are on the university campus, as well as where are all the pubs and the clubs and the wine farms if they're in the Cape, you know, all those things. And, of course, you, you know, you've got apps these days like Life 360. Mm. And so you can actually see exactly where your children are. And that was actually the big conversation last night was the fact that you can actually track your children's movements and you can see that they're going from one bar to another, one club to another, one wine farm to another. Are they getting any sleep? (laughs) So um, you know the the conversation around independence is a very interesting one. In the old days of course your children would go off to university and you wouldn't know what they were doing. Mm. Now, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? To know that your children are, you know, to know where your children are or not know at all, um, there's there's a strange comfort in knowing where your children are, but there's also that feeling of, I'm no longer in control of their lives. Their decisions of what to do now are up to them, and that is part of leaving the nest. Mm -hmm. So they've left the security of home and family and, um, and it's this is when you get to see how independent and resourceful and resilient your children really are or not, and 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 you can't control whether they're going to get up and make their beds every morning or not. Um, you can't. You know, you you're just not there in the day-to-day decision-making moments, and. Part of letting go is letting your children actually do that stuff without you and experience the consequences of yeah.
0: that. So, you know, the independence is obviously, Nikki, a, 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 a journey. It's not uh, something that's something final that your children arrive at or that's already been baked into them once when they arrive, when they get to university. So the stages to this, this, this thing. What should parents be expecting in the first few weeks of the child having flown the nest? And how do they, in the meanwhile, just sit with that uncertainty or lack of control?
1: <laughs> so, as I said, those first few weeks are very much about orientating themselves. And um, they're also going to be testing their limits You know, for some children who've been um, in a very, very kind of rigid environment, it might be their first experience of freedom Mm -hmm. and they might go really big. So they're going to be testing how much sleep they need or how much sleep deprivation they can cope with. (laughs) They're going to be testing how much alcohol they can drink for the first time ever they're going to be buying their textbooks by themselves and, hey, covering them. I like you're in that stage of still probably covering your daughter's textbooks. And it's the weirdest thing. When you're in the thick of it, you wish you didn't have to do it. But when you don't do it anymore, you wish you could.
0: <laughs> Try me, Nikki. <laughs> Try me. And I feel as though I won't feel, I won't quite agree with you. <laughs> That's yes. one thing I won't yes. miss. But, yeah. You think so. I just say to what else parents are
1: dealing with? So, I think my big piece of advice is that no news is probably good news. And, and you actually do have to give your child that space um, to get to know who they are without you. And you must keep yourself busy at this time so that you don't have too much time to think or obsess over your own child. And remember, um, you've got to keep growing yourself and taking responsibility for your own happiness. Your child is actually not there to be your happiness maker. And that is a big aha for parents when their kids leave leave home is that, you are no longer the center of their world and actually they are no longer the center of your world but I can promise you that they are going to call you when they run out of money when they run out of data mm-hmm. when they run out of airtime. Um and this is a this is a one that I've experienced over and over again when they need a recipe okay you know only some children go into a res where they're going to be able to take advantage of catering. You know these days to get into those, those um, university residences you have to be the top students mm. and most kids today are having to make a plan and be an independent uh, accommodation where they're actually responsible for their own food, their own meals. Now that is a massive leap to go from home where there was always a meal on the table and there was always a lunchbox packed to suddenly having to budget your allowance to pay for food and to actually make the time to cook. And some children, of course, have grown up knowing how to cook because they've been involved in the kitchen from the time they were born, pretty much, while other children aren't. My son actually shared a digs with somebody who had no idea how to cook pasta. Just basic pasta, let alone the bolognese that went with the pasta. Didn't know how to use a mop. Didn't know how to stack a dishwasher. And my son had to teach him all these life skills. So this is a time when your children start acquiring a whole lot of different skills. And that's also a very important thing. And they will figure it out. That's the interesting thing. They actually will figure it out without you. They may have to call you from time to time. But they're also going to become resourceful and lean on mates as well.
0: So I hear you giving uh, quite a lot of assurance, saying that they're not fragile, these uh, children. They won't melt when you're not around to do everything for them. <laughs> They'll adapt. They'll learn either from by, either by calling you and reaching out, either from their new friends, uh, resmates, whatever it might be. They'll definitely learn. But if you are prone to uh, catastrophizing, for instance, <laughs> and you're also aware of the fact that There's some things that you might not have taken care of in this uh, journey of bringing them up. Uh, And and I say this because we got a message earlier on this morning from, I'm going to read this out to you, to read this out to you, um, Nikki. This one saying, hi, my name's Lerato. I'm 23, so quite young herself. I have nephews. The older one is 16. The twins are 11. And uh, it's boy and a girl. And I find it too difficult to break the ice around sex. uh, But have realized that if I Don't talk to them No one else will But because we're in a family Where some of these conversations Are taboo um, It's difficult Their father passed on And now they're left With my grandma Um, I would like to ask How can I approach Or even start a conversation With them And it does happen Nikki That you are in Quite a conservative household And perhaps you are A conservative person and you'd have liked to and you needed to and should have had conversations around sex, around boundaries, around friendships, around, you know, all these more intimate details, but you just did not do it. Um, obviously you've sent your child off for res, but you know, it's never too late to make some forays uh, to, uh, into these conversations. How to start doing so even at this late stage? Because as you said, we do meet all types when we go out into the world or we go into university, whether it's, um, that kid that your son shared, Um, digs with who'd never cooked before and then there'll be those kids who've never been independent and had a social life outside of their parents or outside of their friends uh, or rather outside of school and that means things like sex and relationships were never discussed and there's a safety matter around there, there's all sorts of matters around there
1: that you know uh, a young adult needs to be equipped with. Absolutely, so it's really important, obviously, to have conversations with your children. And I call them what-if conversations. So preparing your kids for what-if moments. And, and you know, perhaps take your child out for a cup of coffee if you, when you next see them or have that conversation on the phone um, where you need to talk about, and you can do the entree in a, in a, in a roundabout way to these questions. For example, you've, you've raised sex. Um, which is usually the hardest question or the hardest conversation that parents feel they need to have with their children or can't have with their children. But there are some other what-if scenarios you could start with to lead into that conversation. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the most common thing that's going to happen to your child at university, and that is that their cell phone will get stolen or their cell phone will be lost. That is a what-if conversation um, where you need to talk about so what if um, your cell phone gets stolen or lost? What do you do? So it depends how you're insured, of course. Um, but for the most part, if it is stolen, they have to go and get a case number at the local police station. Mm. Now that is adulting. <laughs> yes,) better. And it is the most common thing that happens. I cannot tell you how often cell phones get stolen in the first six months of university because kids are out at a bar or a pub or a club and they're not focused on their belongings. The cell phone is in their back pocket or it's on the table. And there are literally gangs who, who, who are in the streets and they're watching for these easy pickings. Um, my, in the first year of university, my youngest son had two cell phones stolen. And he's a big guy. People don't mess with him. But, you know, you're not concentrating. You're not focusing. So that's a, a, an easy segue into these what-if conversations. Um, and then if should they have a vehicle, you've got to talk about what if you get into a car accident. What are the next steps? So what I'm saying is there's a blueprint that you are trying to help your child acquire so that should they land up in these situations, they can kind of like, go, oh, I've been here before. They haven't actually been there before, but in their mind, you've taken them through the steps. So what needs to happen in this adult world I'm now in, uh, you've got to you know, get people's cell phone numbers. You've got to uh, get their address. You've got to get a copy of their ID or their driver's license or something like that. You've got a cell phone. You can do these things quite easily. You've got to go and report this to the police. And then that leads you into, so let's talk about some other things that are bound to happen now that you're in an adult world. And that is that you're going to meet new people and sex will be an option. Mm. And, and even kids who are not planning to have sex early on, I know families where they you know, have spoken about contraception, where girls have even gone onto contraception long before they've even needed to be on contraception because they are being prepared for a what if moment and every what if moment has consequences and those consequences can be good or bad depending on how your child has been prepped and of course the other big one apart from cell phones being stolen is drinks being spiked Mm. and it can happen to anybody absolutely anybody um and I, I was listening to a story recently about uh, um, a, a really nice guy who was out with, um, with a whole lot of friends and he went to the bar to buy the drinks. And he can, he, he, there were three drinks um, or four drinks. He carried three back to the table, went back for the fourth. And in that split second, the fourth drink was spiked. And that fourth drink was given to a girl in the group and she landed up in hospital. And this young man felt absolutely devastated at what happened because he felt it was his fault, even though he wasn't the one who spiked the drink. So whether you have girls or boys, you've got to have these conversations because our kids have to learn to protect each other and look out for each other. And that's, that's the other thing is, um, you know, when they go to, to the restrooms, they've got to go together together. Those are things that will keep them safe, looking out for each other, making sure that they watch what's happening with the drinks on the bar. Um, So little bits of information that can actually save them should they land up in these risky situations. A final
0: touch point, Nikki, um, you know, helping your children on that journey to independence. We've spoken a lot about, you know, letting them I guess, learn through trial and error in some instances, preparing them, setting out a blueprint for how to um, go about life or how to adult. But there's also the matter of independence when it comes to academics because it's one thing to move from a highly structured high school environment to one where if, you know, you decide not to rock up at lectures, there's no one breathing down your neck and calling your parents or sending a note home saying, where was Balesa this morning? So in terms of... I guess yeah <laughs> sitting back and not trying to micromanage there or you know knowing that your child will do what they what they do um how to have those conversations but most importantly how to regulate yourself as a parent
1: yeah So I think that that boils down to having agreements and setting a few limits and having those agreements uh, as upfront as possible, as early on as possible. And I think those limits that your children need to learn to live within include giving them an allowance, taking them through how to budget their money, um, and if they run out of airtime, Uh, or if they run out of data, what's going to happen? So a debit card is obviously a good idea. Um, You're you're going to be working out over the next couple of weeks, probably a month or two really, whether the allowance you've given them is enough. Um, You may have to make some minor adjustments to it by about, I would say, April. Um, I know we had to do that. And, of course, that agreement around what if you should fail a subject You've got to have that um, agreement up front and we had that um, with our kids or certainly with my eldest son and when he did land up failing a subject, uh, the agreement was that he would have to pay for redoing that subject and it is actually quite a good one in terms of children having to commit to doing the work they've got to do Mm. in order to pass because if you do your work consistently generally kids are going to pass When they don't pitch to lectures for months on end that they're going to fall behind so there's usually a lot of reading a lot of self-study when you're at university which kids are not used to they're not going to be spoon-fed like they were at school and of course you're not there to check that they're doing their assignments but if there's a little bit of responsibility on their shoulders because they might have to pick up the tab for having to repeat a whole subject the next year, there's a lot more impetus to actually take responsibility for their actions. So, I would suggest that that is a, a good strategy to put into place. Lovely. Uh,
0: important conversation to be had um, but yeah, quite a, quite a journey for all
1: involved especially the parents. <laughs> you just want and just to make remember, sure
0: your child is on the right path.
1: Yeah, And yeah, around um, mid-March, that's when the wheels start to fall off. Uh, So in about four to six weeks' time, that's when you're going to start getting the calls for help. Uh, when your kids realise that actually this is serious, the partying's over and I've got to get <laughs> knuckled down, and that's when the homesickness kicks in as well, mm. and that's when we see, um, you know, mothers flying down uh, to to Cape Town and Stellenbosch and Durban and places like that to go and rescue their children. So it, maybe we'll have that conversation again in about six weeks' time.
0: <laughs> we'll definitely remind you to sound the alarm and say, "Hey, this is this is what time it is." Nikki Bush, always a pleasure. Looking forward to our conversation next weekend. Cheers. <laughs> Take care. All right.